Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. John Zacco. He's a true 21st century renaissance man. I think it's the 21st century. He's a guitar tech to the stars like Dream Theater, Tesla, Mr. Big, and now Def Leppard for the past three or four years. He's a great guitar player, having toured with a bunch of country bands and rock bands. He's an amazing photographer. He can do it all. He also loves coffee as much as I do. We did this interview just a couple of days after tornadoes ripped through the country uh, within about a mile or so of his house. So he was kind of floating between laughter and sadness. So uh, here's my buddy, John Zacco. Man, John Zacco. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, taking a chance on uh, oh, man. my social media unsavvy. Dude, this voice. is great. <laughs> Out here in uh, magical Mount Juliet, yes. in the shadow of a crap load of tornado. Yeah, it was scary. We were, uh, Did I it? didn't know it was coming. You know, they, they said, you know, oh, maybe some severe storms. And yeah. I fell asleep on the couch watching TV and, uh. The, the iPhone, you know, like you always get those alerts. It's yeah. like usually an Amber alert or something like that. It went off in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, I didn't pay any attention to it. And then all of a sudden you hear the sirens kick on. I'm like, all right. So I, I look up and see all these flashes outside. And mm. We gathered the kids and the cats and went in the closet and uh, rode it out in there. And it came about a mile and a half from us here. So it was, uh, it was a little too close for comfort. And in 98, we were living about a mile from where that one was. So. Man. Yeah, it's our, our second close tornado. So, so does it sound like a locomotive? It like does. everybody says, I, I poke my head out. That my wife always makes fun of me because <laughs> even in '98, <laughs> I was out in the front yard with the video camera. Right. You know, one of the, the giant ones that weighs yes. like 20 pounds with the VHS tape, <laughs> and I'm out there while everybody else is taking cover. I'm like shooting this big dark cloud coming, and I'm out there with the camera until I ran in the house. But same thing here. I kept poking my head out the back door. Like opening the sliding door, like what the, I wonder if anything's coming, you know. And then, sure enough, you hear all these thunder crashes, and then underneath it, it's just this rumble, you know. This whole time, there's it's not thunder because it's just a constant, like a train. And we do have a train that comes by here too, so right. pretty similar to that. And that's when I knew that something was fairly close, you know. And then I turned the news on. They're like, oh yeah, it's been sighted. It's on the ground. It's heading towards Hermitage and Mount Juliet. So we're like, all right, get in the closet, and that was that was it. So honey. Honey, are you awake? Yeah, well, we ran into each other on the stairs because, I, like I said, I'd fallen asleep downstairs. I'm running up the stairs. She's coming down the stairs with one of the kids, and the cat's running down the stairs. It was just chaos for a couple minutes until we got into the closet, and, and yeah, that was it. Man. Well, luckily, it missed us this time, but we're like I was showing you today, there's, there's pieces of insulation in the yard that got yeah. blown up, and where I go mountain biking, there's, it's hanging in the trees and everything. It's pretty scary, so it's... One of the downsides of being in, in this part of, the, part of the country, as opposed to where I grew up in New York, which is just nasty winters. Oh, you're from New York? Originally from upstate, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Ah, see, surprise. See? Because I'm from Nebraska, and we had tornadoes oh, all yeah, the time. yeah, that's like <laughs> a daily thing up there. Yeah, it's Tornado Alley. Yeah, we had to cancel a show up there years ago when I was playing. Um, we were some fair, and it just got really dark, and they were like, all right, show's canceled, yeah pull everything down and wound up playing in the beer tent a little while later. So. <laughs> it was well, great. Are you from a musical family? 
Not really. No, I, I heard a lot growing up. Yeah. Um, my mom loves the Beatles. She went to see them at Shea Stadium in 60-whatever. Oh, man. Um, so she actually saw them, sort of. I think she cried the whole time. So, right. Um, <laughs> and then my dad almost went to Woodstock, but I kind of screwed that up because I had just been born. So um, I guess he, uh, my mom wouldn't let him go to Woodstock. And uh, aside from that, yeah, I listened to a lot of whatever he was listening to, Pink Floyd, Mountain, the Beatles, the Who. So it was a pretty good, dang, a pretty good upbringing as far as the, the style of music I heard. But nobody, nobody really played anything. I think you know you didn't have the Zacco family polka band or something. No, I always wished there was, but nobody would really want to take up the accordion, so it didn't work out. <laughs> well, you have to be pretty manly size to do that. It's like you to, know to wrangle one of those. It yeah. looks like yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I do guitar instead. Well, so I mean, I'm looking into your awesome studio office and there's drums down there and a Friedman half stack and a Marshall and everything you're I mean I, and I know you're a great guitar player but when you why did you come to Nashville instead of going to New York I mostly because a few friends of mine had already moved down here that I grew up with um a good friend of mine was a tour manager lived near me in upstate New York and he had managed like uh, bands like Winger and oh, okay. some of the 80s bands. He moved down here and started working for Country Acts. And uh, I remember talking to him on the phone. This is probably 94. And uh, I'd gotten kind of tired of playing in cover bands in upstate New York. It was, you know, it was fun, but you can only get so far. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, come to Nashville. He goes, there's gigs, you know. I'm like, all right. So I, my wife or fiance at the time, uh, we talked about it and decided to pack up and you know, throw everything in a U-Haul and come on down here in 96. Um, just because there was, there was gigs to be had, I guess, yeah. at that time. Um, I realized early on that it was much easier to try to get a gig with an artist than try to be an artist and deal with all the nonsense that artists have to deal with. Is that what you so, wanted to do? Yeah, from early on. Yeah. I remember it hit me at a, a Billy Joel show in like 89, I think. I was uh, sitting in the arena in Albany, New York, watching his guitar player. Go up to the edge of the stage, take a solo. People are like, woo, and I'm thinking, this guy didn't have to go through any of the crap <laughs> that Billy did. He just got a gig and is playing in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. I'm like, that's so much easier. You know, in my 19-year-old brain, <laughs> it was, you Or know, in my 55-year-old brain. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, there's a way to, because all I wanted to do was just play in front of people. Yeah. I didn't, you know, the rock star thing, you know, when you're a kid, you want to be one, but pretty soon you realize it's, you're much better off yeah. being a hired gun. You know, so that's kind of, that made me realize you could do something like that. Up until that point, I had no idea. It was like, oh, you have to be a rock star or nothing, you know, so right. this made me realize, oh yeah, you can be a side guy, you know, so I moved here. Um, I got an audition with uh, Susie Boggess right away. Love her. And uh, yeah, she's great. And she said, hey, you want to come out and do some shows? And I wound up playing with her for about three and a half years. Man. Um, and it was, it was a weird audition. It wasn't really an audition. It was my friend called me and said, hey learn these three songs and go to Susie's house tomorrow. I'm like, okay. So I had to sit and cram these three songs and it was pretty nerve wracking, you know, just to go and sit across from her. And she's like, okay, let's play aces, you know? And I'm like, okay. You know, and somehow uh, for some odd reason, she's like, okay, cool. You want to do some shows? Did you have an acoustic guitar? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a, at the time, I don't, I think it was a Takamini or something. Okay. Um, so I was here about those auditions going like, uh, okay, I'd love to, but can I borrow a guitar? Yeah, yeah. I had a, some, some weird like 
composite back Takamini that I had bought in New York years ago. Right. And that was, uh, that did the trick for that. And then, yeah, we played like three songs and sang a little bit. And she's like, well, you want to do some shows? That's and awesome. Was, okay, sure. <laughs> so somehow she took a chance on some weird metalhead from New York. And- so I was going to say, speaking of metalhead, I've seen the the Kramer pictures. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, so, I, I stumbled on that again a couple of weeks ago and had to put that up. So how do you go from a Kramer shredder to a country picker? I mean, how's, how's the gap being bridged? Or wait, which was – I guess, yeah, the Kramer would have been first, right? Yeah, that was yeah. – uh, that whole thing was a contest they had. <coughs> you, sent a, you sent a tape in and then they had a panel of – I don't know who it was, their, their employees, a couple artists that picked through these tapes, and mm-hmm. they picked five people. And uh, somehow, again, somehow I managed to get it in one of those five, and they flew us down, flew me to New Jersey, which is, you know, awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, we went to the factory and did a tour of the factory. And you could, this is right before I think they went out of business. So I'm walking around the factory, and there's all these guitars with, like, dust on them, and it's pretty slow in there. So I kind of got the oh, feeling man. that something was going on with Kramer at the time. So, But uh, – but it was cool, you know. They put a little ad in a magazine of the five of us, um, and uh, and that was about it. Nothing really ever came of it for me, at least. But uh, but it was fun. I remember seeing uh, one of Andy Timmons' guitars was there to get worked on. Oh, really? And uh, he's still one of my favorite guitar Dude, players of all time. Not- and his Danger Danger guitar was there to get worked on. I was like, oh, oh check so that cool. out, yeah. So. Dude, his Beatles record is now, phenomenal, killer, man. amazing. Yeah. And, and the thing he did with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, he did the solo oh, take yeah. of that was unreal. He's just so good. And I remember seeing him at at Fanfare years ago. I think when I was playing it with Jody Messina, and he was playing with Leanne Rhymes at that time for some what? reason. Because I remember looking out and going, "Wait, Andy Timmons? What?" And <laughs> it still sounded like him, you know, of course. And then then he got the Olivia Newton John gig, and you know. But he's just such such a great player, so melodic, and his tone is like the, the benchmark tone of what I like to yeah. try to go for. You know, it's unreal. He's so good, man. So you played with Susie for three years, and then I mean, I know your your resume is unbelievable. Who you've worked with as a tech? How, what what happened in between playing and? Well, after after Susie, I was playing with her, and a buddy of mine called me up. That was playing with uh, Jody Messina at the time, okay. and he's like, "Hey, we need a a guy like a utility, acoustic, electric, maybe some mando, which scares me." Yeah. Um, he goes, "You want to you want to audition?" So I'm like, "Yeah, sure." Um, so I wound up again, you know, having to learn a few songs, and this was more of a typical show up at soundcheck, and it was like dudes that lined up in the hallway, okay. like other guys, which is. I can't imagine. Oh, look, yeah, it's it's nerve wracking because yeah. you're sitting out there and you hear everybody else going and playing. You're like, well, that guy could do it. And, well, right. that guy could do it. Well, damn, what am I going to do? So, um, and the, the cool thing was that I knew a couple of guys already, so that made it a little more relaxing. I knew the keyboard player and uh, one or two of the other guys that were in there. So it was kind of a deal where you walk in and they're like, oh, hey man, how's it going? Yeah, so it kind of sets you a little at ease. Yeah. And uh, same deal. I played a few songs and and. They called me back later that day or the next day and, and offered me the gig. And uh, so that was sort of a level up because she was just about to go on the road on the, the big judge reunion okay. in 2000. So I went right away. My first gig with her was playing a, a, a big arena in, in Colorado somewhere. So it was 
it was cool. It was that was like a step towards what I always wanted to do from yeah. that Billy Joel show. It was like to, I just want to be in an arena playing for a bunch of people, and that was like there it was. You I were was in an arena, you know. It was seven songs, you know, forty minutes, whatever it was, open it up and get off the stage real quick. But it was great. <laughs> it was so much fun, and uh, and that was about three or four years I played with her. Which was, did you do those straight fast? We did. We did uh, with the Dixie Chicks and everybody. No, we did it in two thousand two. Okay, it was just an arena tour with George, so it was Jody and George, and because uh, I did was, all the stadiums with while I was working with the Dixie Chicks. Oh, okay. And Jody oh, cool. was on all of those. Yeah, I think it was before I was with her. Okay. I, I came on in two thousand with her, and uh, we did the the Judds first, then the headline stuff, and then she did it for her first headline tour in two thousand one with Rascal Flatts opening up when they were first coming out. And uh, I, I gauge it by how big Joe Don's guitar rig was. <laughs> and is how it? big Gary LaVox is. <laughs> so, yeah. so Joe Don had this little Line 6 flex tone amp. I'm like, oh, that, that's a nice little amp. That's, that's cool. cute. Yeah, and then the next time I saw him, three years later, he had his own skid of, like, Bogners and racks of stuff. And he, so it was, they, yeah. they had blown up, and his guitar rig had blown up, you know, right along with right. him. So it was... It was cool, but which is exactly what we would have done. Exactly, yeah. yeah. At the time, I I played a a, a little PV Classic Thirty with a little pedal board on that tour. So, Price I'm great. always kind of a simple. Yeah, I like simple rigs. You know, it's and now my son uses that same amp with his his alt indie band that he's in. So, it's but been, you're producing. No, I'm, I'm kind of. I just sort of stay back and let him do his thing, and he'll, yeah. he'll ask me sometimes. Uh, hey, Dad, what should I do here? Or how do I play this? And but for the most part, he's, he's been pretty self-guided, you know, Dang. which is fun to watch. And yeah. he goes to Nashville School of the Arts. He auditioned and got in there. So that's a really cool environment. Um, you know, it's just everybody there does something. Yeah. There's theater. There's the guitar players. So it's, it's great because you get thrown into this school where you're not necessarily the only guitar player in the school. Right. There's everybody there plays something. So it's been really good for him. Yeah. And it's fun to watch. Is that intimidating or is it fun? I think... Probably both? A little of both. It's like moving here from upstate New York, you know what I mean? It's Up there, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty cool, you know? I'm yeah. a guitar player. And you get down here, like, okay, everybody else here kicks my ass. So Dude. It's, yeah. I always say that I was in my hometown. I was a little bit of a big fish in a small pond. And I always say that I wasn't even the best guitar player that moved to Nashville on the day that I <laughs> right. moved to Nashville. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's it's humbling, man. You come here and you live in the same city as, you know, Brent Mason. He lives here too. Yeah. You know, guys like that. Or or Dan Huff at that time. I'm not sure if Dan still lives here or not, but He does. You know, guys yeah. like that. They're like, Oh, you're in the same city as these guys. Why yeah. why bother? You know what I mean? But everybody you can carve out your own little place to work, I guess, you know. Did you did you also want to do studio stuff? Just mentioning those guys? I kind of thought about it, but it, it never really clicked with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, I think maybe I don't work fast enough. I don't know. <laughs> you no, know? that's very. I was always a guy that was of the rock background, where you'd sit in a studio and like work on a solo for yeah. a few, couple hours and get it just right. Yeah. So that whole mindset was so different here. And I've done some stuff where you go in and you cut five songs and then a couple hours and all that, and it's fun. But I don't know. For some reason, it, I never really. Clicked. I was always just more of a road guy, and yeah. there was always that delineation between road dudes and studio dudes. And uh, it seemed like at that time, especially if you did one, you didn't really do the other. Right. And the guys I knew that did both were like always scrambling to like, I got a session, I got to fly out 
and do this session so I don't miss the session. Otherwise, they move on to the next guy. You know what I mean? It's, so it can be a little scary. But And also, you leave town on a tour, and you come back, and they're going, John who? Exactly, oh, yeah. let me turn it's, to page two of my guitar player. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You, you kind of have to, must be present to win, I guess, so... Um, and I, that was never, I always wanted to play live, you know, I was yeah. just a live dude. So, you know, I've done some recording, I've done a couple of my own things and, but for the most part, just, I wanted to get up there on stage and yeah. rock out, you know? <laughs> so that's awesome. So how did you get into guitar teching? That was, I was always messing with my stuff. Even way back, I would change pickups and, and help friends with their guitars. I had buddies that were afraid to take the back plate off their guitar. I'm like, no, take it off. You can. Right. Do this, do this, adjust your truss rod here. I just was never scared of getting into it. So that kind of set it up. And then even uh, when I was playing with Susie, I would I would take care of her acoustics for you know? I'd yeah. She'd be like, oh, can you adjust it a little bit, take care of, you know, change my strings maybe? So I'd always work on her stuff. And even with Jody, would take care of hers and program her little effects unit that she would play guitar with. And so it was always a deal that I would do. And then one day, a buddy of mine had called me up and said, hey, we need a guitar tech. Um, you, you, that's something you'd want to do and I was between tours this mm-hmm. was after the Jody gig and then uh, I was like yeah sure you know I'll give it a shot I wanted to be in the, the Carrie Underwood's first tour um, so I went out on that and mm-hmm. that was like very beginning tour for her so it's one of those deals where you have to take care of two guitar players and a bass player and help with the keyboard rig and so it was one of those man you get kind of thrown into that as opposed to now which is like the, working with with leopard you just take care of the one dude and yeah. everybody's got their guy and he can really focus on one but um so that's kind of where it started for real was that tour yeah did that for a while and you know they went to dream theater shortly after that um, but you were bass like bass tech john my right? yeah yeah so uh, another deal where a friend of mine is like, hey, we need somebody. Can you come out and do this? I'm like, yeah. Does he ever talk? He does. Believe it or not, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd always never heard him talk. I'd always heard that he was like quiet. The first day I went on with them, we were at a rehearsal place in Jersey, and he talked all day. I couldn't believe it. He's like, hey, man. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, right. about everything, family, the stock market, you know, every little thing. So it was it, it was pretty funny because I had always heard the same thing. You know? yeah. It was always mysterious and quiet. and. If you're friends with him or if he's comfortable around you, right. he'll, he'll chat. But other than that, no. Like we did a, uh, you know, those rig rundowns that Premier Guitar Absolutely. does. Absolutely. Uh, I love those. They came out and did one with us. And I had to do it because he would. Yeah. Obviously, he's not going to get interviewed. So. Right. <laughs> so, you know, when I was talking to you before about not being social media savvy, it was one of those deals where they interview you on camera and you watch it back later. And there's, there's nothing like a video interview to point out everything that you don't like about yourself. Right. I'm like, ah, oh, do I look like that when I talk? Oh, I sound, oh, why am I so whiny? Why do I talk so fast? And you want to take it a step further, you read the comments, you know, the YouTube comments. You're like, oh, damn, really? Oh, I do say basically every two sentences. Right. <laughs> so, and literally. And, yeah, yeah. So, man. So I, I try to, I try to watch, uh, my bosses when they do interviews you know i'll watch phil do something and i'm like oh, man he's so smooth so good yeah yeah he's been doing it for 40 years you know not to talk too fast and not to ramble yeah. and not to sound like a dork you know so. and if somebody's putting a mic in your face it's because they want to hear what you have right to say. Yeah, yeah exactly so i just try to take a breath slow down you know again being from new york i kind of talk fast and kind of yeah you know so i'm trying to I try to adapt a more southern attitude with that and right. just kind of laid back and just, all right, yeah, man, let's just chat, you know? So <laughs> hopefully it'll work. I don't know. So did you go from him to Frank? 
Hannon? Um, let me think. After Dream Theater, I would do stuff in between okay. tour legs because they would be off for months at a time sometimes. So um, I went out with, uh, at the time, uh, Mike Portnoy was still in Dream Theater, and he had a band called Transatlantic. Oh, yeah. And he offered me, you know, said, hey, you want to come out and take care of? Yeah. Again, another right. gig where you're taking care of a bunch of people. So we did a transatlantic tour of the, the States and Europe in 2010, right around the flood. The net, we were talking about oh, okay. the flood earlier. I actually missed my flight because I couldn't get out of my neighborhood and uh, wound up having to fly out on the day of the first show, which is always fun when you're going to Europe. <laughs> uh, I literally was nodding off on the side of the stage. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, so I worked with that band for, for a tour, and that was, that was great. That was uh, uh, Pete from uh, Marillion. Yeah, uh, Royna Stolt who's a guitar player from Sweden. Every guitar player from Sweden is really good. I've determined so because there's there's Ingve, there's there's right. I think the Europe guys are from there. The guys from Jorn's band. Yeah, so they're all yeah. you know. So that was a fun tour. It was busy. It was taking care of two guitar rigs, two keyboard rigs, a bass rig. So, um, and then I did Stone Sour for a while. When between Dream Theater mm-hmm. legs again, I worked for Josh Rand with Stone Sour on the Uproar tour, which was fun. Um, little things here and there. Neil Morse, who was in Transatlantic, he's a, a big prog guy. Yeah. He was in Spock's Beard. Now he does his own thing. I've worked for and, several uh, of his tours. Portnoy's in that band. Yeah, Portnoy's played on yep. all his records. So it's like a really little prog family yeah. almost. You know, it's kind of a tight knit little circle. So I've done a bunch of a uh, bunch of Neil stuff, and I'll help him out at the studio when he's trying to program a new yeah. record, or getting sounds ready for a tour. Um, and then uh, same thing with with Mike. He also got me on the Winery Dogs first tour, taking care of Richie and Billy. So it really does. It's the old cliche of, uh, you know, you, you network, you meet a couple guys, you work with yeah. a couple guys, and that kind of branches out into all these other things, which is totally happened with this. Um, yeah, as a guitar player, it's like, and I've said this a thousand times, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Chick always says, nobody pays us to play, they pay us to travel. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you have to be good at your job but you also have to be a good hang oh absolutely that's equally as important i think because i mean everybody's done tours where there's and all it takes is one guy yeah. you know and sometimes <laughs> that guy's maybe in the band you know so. right <laughs> i've been really lucky though and that i've i've worked much you can nice do about guys that. yeah that um you know this would be a great gig if the only the artist was different no. right. but uh <laughs> It, no. I, I've been super lucky. Everybody I've worked for, re- honestly, has been has been really nice. And people yeah. have kind of made fun of me. They're like, you always get the nicest guy in whatever band you're working in. Right. Like, why is that? You know, John, quiet, laid-back dude. Josh and Stone Sour, yeah. cool, laid-back, nice dude. Frank. Frank, uh, Phil. I mean, it's it's been yeah. the, the bands that are all nice anyway, but then there's the one guy that's like extra super nice. Yeah. And, and for some reason, I wind up with that guy. I don't know why. But if you just look at your circle of livelihood, it's like – you know you're a good hang because you're working with Portnoy and then Billy Sheehan, and that goes into Mr. Big, and then that goes into Winery Dogs or whatever. And it's yeah, like, yeah. you don't that doesn't happen if you're a screeching moron. All yeah, the time. yeah. I, I guess I've always been nice. I guess <laughs> you know. I try to be. I try to get along with people. I, Life's way um, easier when you're nice. It is. Yeah. There's no reason to get riled up about crap. Um, you know, uh, on the road, you'll see certain tours I've been on where people get really mad about something or riled yeah. up about, oh, this isn't right or that's not right. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I'm out here 
working for for people I like, you know. I saw a guitar player get fired because on the bus country tour solo artist, he was a guitar player, he just non-stop bitching about the coffee on the bus. Oh jeez. And finally they just said, "We can find another guitar player." Yeah. Just is is it worth it? You know, exactly. and that's the kind of stuff you always go, "Golly, dude, seriously?" Exactly. Yeah. I remember hearing about that even before I moved here. Some from some friends that were down here or in the industry, they'd be like, "Oh man, yeah, this guitar player in this one for this one artist is complaining all the time about this or that or the other thing." Or it's like, "Why would you do that? You yeah. get to play guitar for a living." Yeah, there's going to be times when it sucks. There's, sure, something's not right. But step back and look at the big picture of yeah. you get to do this, and uh, you know, when you talk to other people that are not in this industry, it kind of drives it home. They're like, "Wow, you get you do that for a living. You get right. to travel with bands." And it makes you stop and think. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess it is kind of good. Yeah, how many so. countries were you in last year? Yeah, right, yeah. Not, you, not that that's a good thing at, at this very present moment. Well, not, not today. <laughs> but. Today I would not want to be in a lot of different countries. But. Well, you also said something earlier about Tekken. Is you said you were never scared of anything. Because, like, I will do anything I want to to my guitars, but I will not even take the truss rod cover mm-hmm. off the headstock. That freaks me out. So there's... Is there anything you've, I mean, do you ever get in over your head where you got to call somebody or you got to take a guitar or an amp or something into a shop or you have your favorite guys around the, the world to take stuff into? Um, pretty much anything super heavy duty fret jobs. We're usually, okay. we're, we're like a mash unit out on the road. That's right. I kind of like at it where we can patch things up and keep it working. And then you want to get somebody to a real hospital at some point that's got the, right. the proper stuff with them. So. <laughs> You know, like like one of Phil's guitars, uh, uh, Bella, which is a, a famous one with oh, Bella yeah. Gosey glows in the dark. He had, uh, I think, Mike Shannon at Fender Jackson refret it this past okay. couple months. You know, and that's something that I, you know, yeah. better left to somebody that does it every day in the custom shop. Um, but for the most part, yeah, most of what I do is adjustments, changing pickups, changing out components. Like Phil's guitars all have these sustainers in them, so you yeah. can like, play a note and it takes off forever. Um, you can't see it on the podcast, but I'm holding my arm up in the air like a rock right. So, um, that's a very Pete Townsend exactly. right there. Or, or, uh, Joel Hoekster from Whitesnake does that all the time. Yes. He's got this, he wanted Phil's guitars and he's like, yeah, I need this because when I hold a note with Cher or whoever, I got to be able to point up in the air and have the note keep going. I'm like, yes, exactly. That's yes, why they do. made it. So back to that, that I'll have to change those once in a while. Once they'll get squirrely and you have to change the whole circuit board out and, so mostly stuff like that. And as far as amps, I mean, gosh, with Phil, we're on Axe Effects right now. So it's, well, that's what I was going to say. Does that stuff ever break down? No. Knock, knock on my rooms to go uh, dining room table here. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, they're so rock solid. We've been using the yeah. Axe Effects 3 for, since 2018. You just carry all the tones in your laptop? Just yeah, just there's backups everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I've got them on thumb drives, on my laptop. Um, we wound up getting like a bunch of these little thumb drives and everybody puts their stuff on them. I upload them to uh, our server at the, at the gear locker out in LA. Oh, so okay. I try to get them wherever, wherever we are, we can somehow grab them and, and load them up onto a new unit if we have to, but they've been super rock solid. Um, they sound great and yeah, we're always tweaking a little bit here and there and he's this, the happiest he's been with his tone and it's, it's so nice because it, you know, usually we're the headliners and also have the smallest guitar rig out of anybody out there. Oh, which yeah. Is nice. Yeah. So you talk about Phil, Colin, obviously. 
changing pickups. Will he change pickups before he'll go into the laptop and change an EQ or something on a certain tone? Or does uh, that have anything to do with anything? It's usually just he wants to beef up a certain guitar yeah. or change the tone of a certain guitar. Like they were, there was one last year that was a little thin sounding and he's like, well, let's, let's try an X2 one in here. So I just throw it in and it becomes one of his favorite guitars. Right. So it's, it's mostly if the guitar itself just needs a little extra something or a little change, but yeah. Um, and then I'll go in and, and there's certain presets during the show where he'll be like, Hey, let's, let's do a little more chorus on this one or maybe a little different tone here. And, I'm always listening as we're as they're playing and making little notes. Like maybe this song could use a little less distortion. Maybe right. this one can use more of this. So, but uh, it's pretty dialed right now. After a couple of years, it's it's he's super low maintenance, which is nice. Well, also with those with that band, you you want to sound like the record. So once you get that tone, yeah, it's, within a couple of cents, it's like you're just there's yeah there's little tiny improvements you can make. Yeah, depending on like change a compressor block somewhere or an EQ block somewhere, but. Um, and they're, the thing with them is that they don't necessarily go for album tones and the classic stuff. Yeah, that's true. Because like, Hysteria was all a Rockman. Yeah. All those guitars, I think 90% of them were just a, one of those Tom Scholl's Rockmans right. that everybody was buying back then. And that's what Mutt used on the guitars. Absolutely. And it sounds killer. Yeah. And you'd never know that it was just this little headphone amp they used. So um, when I first started working for him, I was like, ah, does he want that tone? He's like, no. So it's, right. it's more overdrive. It's just a big chunkier guitar sound, and it's a big giant rock tone between him and Viv. So um, not necessarily trying to cop those album tones. They've definitely evolved from that. But yeah, I think it'd be cool personally. I would love to see him go do uh, the whole Hysteria record with the same tones. Have have rock bands and just completely go. But then uh, they did do the whole record uh, year before last in the UK. We did a whole tour where they played Hysteria top to bottom. Which is really cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at that time I was thinking, man, it'd be great to just plug a, <laughs> plug a Rockman in and do, do it old school, you know? Dude, but, you could literally carry his whole rig in your backpack. I could. <laughs> if we had to, we could. I could put one in a, in a rack bag and it would be good to go. It'd be awesome. And the entire rack is just two of those Axe FX3s, a main and a spare, and a wireless and yeah. a switcher. And that's about it. Yeah. Isn't it nice not to be worrying about tubes blowing oh. up and rebiasing tubes and oh, carrying so 100 nice. pound yeah. heads? I've been I've been really lucky with my gigs and that the, the people I've worked for have, for the most part, had good gear. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. State of the art stuff where you're not like duct tape and crap. Yeah, <laughs> using an old late '60s Marshall that's <laughs> yeah. always blown up. Or because really that's you know definitely that's not my specialty. Because I, I've grown up in a more modern world of, of this kind of stuff. You yeah, know? so it's. You know, if I had to rip an amp apart, I'm not sure that I'd be able to come out of it alive. So. No, it's funny because you're talking about the rig rundowns and, you know, doing one for John back then. And it's like now everybody in the last two years, except like the edge, has, what are you guys using on stage? Well, they, we either have fractals with a redundant fractal or a Kemper with a redundant crap. Yeah. And they go, okay, so what are you using for guitars? Yeah, you know, and then I the, know. And it, it's kind of all the same, but it's like... Once you get out there and you do what you do for as many years and shows and flights and buses and trucks that you do, and the consistency is what you guys have to have. Yeah, absolutely. You just realize, well, this just works. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, the consistency, because we're not, there's nothing mic'd on any of the guitar or bass rigs. It's all direct. Yeah. Digital out, you know, it's AES out. So it's, um, yeah, it's the same every night. You're not worried about, 
oh, the mic's a little different today. It moved a centimeter off right. axis, and now it sounds all weird. You know, it's 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 the same every night. And the ears, it's it's so consistent. It's it's great. Do you wear in ears? You yes, hear everything. Again? Yeah, we're all on in ears, so it's the same ones that that Phil uses. So we got to we're hearing the same thing. Yeah. So it's it makes tweaking a little easier too. So. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm looking in there at your Friedman, and your Marshall, and you go. <laughs> if you play that today, shut it off, come back and play it tomorrow. Oh yeah, it's going to be just this much different. Yeah, absolutely. There's days I'll turn that thing on and go, "Wow, it doesn't sound as cool as it did when I bought it." And then the next day, <laughs> okay, it sounds cool now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And it's it's so it's ridiculous. I don't know why I got it because it's a 50 watt head that. I really don't have much of a use for doing what I do. Yeah. So it's I'll, the last time I cranked it up was I, I jammed with uh, Troy Laketa from Tesla. Oh, yeah. He lives close to here, so I went to his house and uh, me, him, and uh, B. James Lowry were jamming. Yeah, and uh, and that was fun because I got to turn the thing up. Oh and yeah, like, oh, and I brought it home and turned it on at the volume it was at Troy's, and the, <laughs> the entire house shook. It was, so it's sort of a pointless piece of gear, but it's fun. <laughs> I should, I should have bought a, an Axifax is what I should have bought, but oh well. Yeah, you could probably get a deal. Maybe. The, yeah, I, I know a couple of guys. So you set my Axifax up. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're doing your, your foot switch there. Yes. Yeah. And I've got a, uh, an Axifax 2, which I think is that's that what, what you got? Is, yeah. yeah. Yep. I borrowed one from the, the Leopard Locker a few months ago because there's a pile of them there unused right now that yeah. they switched to three. So I brought one home, and I've been messing with that one. And it's fun. That's still a great unit, too. You know, it's, you know what? I mean, I, people... I wrote with this one guy one time, and he goes, what are you using for guitars and amps? And, you know, like you guys, there's a million guitars around. And I go, I have to share my house with, I'm sorry, I get to share my house with my (laughs) wife. So running a 50, (laughs) so running a 50-watt head, even into a closet, wrapping a blanket around it, sticking a 57 in it, you're still going to move some air. And I go, I can use a fractal. Yeah. And because it's got 300 amps, 20 of them which I use all the time. Yeah. And you can get it programmed so close. Yeah. If you really get in there and tweak it, it's it's great. No, you know? And that's it really drove it home when uh Phil was saying how they don't I, I think they've used plugins for all the guitars in the last few things they've done. Mm-hmm. Like his Delta Deep stuff, the last Leopard record, I think was all just plug a guitar in straight into the the interface and then just use plugins for tones. And it, it, you listen, it sounds great. Sounds great. You know, Too many people still want to hear with their eyes. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. 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 That's the old joke. I know what good tone looks like, you know? It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, well, no. Just close your eyes and tweak. Right. Here, this is a button marked loud. Just yeah. make it, make it. Just don't look at the knob because, you, you know, like on that freedom, I got to turn the presence way down. I like dark sounds. And right. if I look at the knobs, I'm like, that doesn't look right. But, <laughs> you know. Just play. Play and tweak. <laughs> Just play. So what's your daily routine as far as setting up whatever? Oh, let's see. I mean, on, on show day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say, here, I usually get up, I do some dishes. Uh, right. I like a, two eggs. Um, a show days, if it's a typical <laughs> arena tour, we're backlined. Well, they, they pick on us because we're the last ones in and the first ones out. So right. They call us the country club. So we'll get, we'll roll in there bright and early at about eleven in the morning. Um, <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Is it that typically because the, the production guys are in there right. at six or whatever, marking the floor, mm-hmm. hanging truss, all that fun stuff. And there's no there's no call for us to be you know in the way, yeah. wandering around, you know, getting people angry. So so we'll roll in ten thirty, eleven, 
dump our truck. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's, his rig is so simple. It's basically hook it up, get my spot on the side, you know, off stage left where I need to be and then change some strings. And that varies from day to day because he plays 10 to 12 different guitars a night usually. So, uh, when he just plays one for one or two songs, obviously we're not going to change strings every day. So I keep yeah. a sheet of all the guitars and I mark down how many songs have been played on each one. And when they get up around 10 songs, they get a change. So 10, roughly 10 songs. Man. Yeah. So, and like I said, he doesn't break strings. He plays 13s, which is just, well, 13s ridiculous. and then this brass. <laughs> yeah. Pick, yeah. And he, he doesn't break strings. He plays these monster brass picks. So yeah, he, he really doesn't. And, uh, they're just they're he uses uh Dario strings which are which are great um and yeah we've never had a problem breaking them because just because he is with those 13s they're so yeah heavy and he is down a half step which helps a little bit but um so yeah so some days there'll be no string changes some days there'll be maybe five or six guitars that need it and they're all floyd floating floyd roses so any right. guitar players out there will know that they can be a handful depending on how the weather yeah. is and what the temperature is and the humidity and all that fun stuff so do you have tricks as far as like getting his boat off the truck and leaving it in the venue for a while before you open it up or anything like that? Or does that even matter? If it's a weird temperature day, you know, if it's super cold or hot, I like to let it acclimate a little bit. Mm-hmm. But his and his necks are so huge too. If if you ever look at one of his guitars, they're they're like baseball bat necks pretty much. So they're so solid. I don't really run into any kind of shifting yeah. or. Um, you know, it's like the old Jeff Beck strats that had that baseball bat size. Oh, man, yeah. They're huge, so they're super stable. Um, so we don't really run into much of a problem with that. The, the main thing is the Floyd Bridge. Like we did, uh, what was the festival here? In, uh, where, uh, Exit 111 Festival oh, yeah. last fall. And uh, it was in the 30s when they played. I think it was high 30s. So it was, it was a challenge man. because the guitars were super sharp during the day. So I had to stay on it all day long and make sure, you know, because when the temperature shifts by a couple degrees, it's just enough where it'll go a little out of tune. And because it's a floating bridge, you got to kind of, you know, go through the retune the whole thing. It's not as easy as just a fixed bridge guitar. So right. all technical crap, but it's just, it's more of a challenge with floating bridges. So, and when Did you he... play outside, it's, it's yeah. more of a challenge. So, so in the thirties, will he still take his shirt off? He wore a vest. <laughs> I, everybody asked me that too. They're like, did Phil wear a shirt that night? Like he, he, he almost caved and wore a shirt. I think he had the vest, just a vest. Hey, if I look like that, I wouldn't wear a oh, shirt it's, either. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. He, it's, it's inspiring, you know, and I'm out there. It's like, I got to go to the gym on every single day off because here's a dude who's, you know, however old, 13 years older than me or whatever, and just ripped. So, but yeah, cold shows, he will occasionally wear that. And on G3, he did actually wear, wear a shirt or a vest because, um, I don't think you know. I don't think you want to show up, Petrucci and uh, Satriani, physique wise. So <laughs> yeah. Well, and Petrucci could take his shirt off too if he wanted to. Yeah, his arms are <laughs> yeah. the size of Phil. I think so. <laughs> so we were just talking about the coronavirus, and yes, it's serious. But I saw last night AEG and Live Nation are pulling everybody off the road. Yeah, yeah. For I guess it's still kind of undetermined if they're taking it at two weeks or a month at a time you guys have this massive motley poison joan jet tour coming up stadiums and everything i guess right now we're still what two months away from that that starts in june okay so, three yeah months we've got a, a so hopefully this will be under control i hope so yeah yeah because we have tickets to nashville so do you? oh yes. awesome nice yeah. nice 
Yeah, I sure hope so because it's they've been talking about it a whole bunch this past year. It's it's huge. It's already sold out a bunch of stadiums. Oh yeah, um, it's it's going to be nuts. And uh, so yeah, I'm hoping by then everything kind of shakes out, and we do have a, a one off in Mexico beginning of May. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens with that. It's a festival in Mexico City, I think. So aside from that, the first real thing we got going on is yeah. mid June, early June with the with the stadium thing. So yeah, I think everybody's kind of keeping an eye on it and yeah. seeing what happens. And you know, at least with the stadiums, you're outside, so you're not enclosed in a little arena. So maybe that'll yeah. help. I don't know. But so on, on a stadium thing like this, is there a hierarchy between you guys and Motley as far as? truck and bus parking and space for gear and all that and, and who's headlining are you looking at numbers the who sold most tickets last time you were in a vent in a market or it's we're doing the same thing we did with journey a couple of years ago we we're flip-flopping so oh, okay pretty much alternate alternating yeah. nights and i think it can be market-based if i'm not mistaken like if somebody typically just really kills in a certain market they yeah. maybe they'll headline that night but so yeah, it's definitely a co-headline thing. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure Motley will have more stuff, uh, if anything, <laughs> just for Tommy's drum solo. I'm kind of curious to see what happens this year. So, if the roller coaster will be out, so dude, we were at the uh, the very last show out in L.A. when the roller coaster got stuck. Oh, jeez, upside down. Oh, nice, nice. And it was fun for a sec, and then you could tell he just started. He didn't enjoy it. Uh, yeah, there's uh, no, there's too many potential spinal tap moments when you get into that kind of stuff, man. That's, oh, man. that's why I love our, the Leopard Show. Just so there's really no gags. Um, it's, in Vegas, like the drum, the acoustic drum kid would, would come up from the under the stage and on yeah. the thrust. That was about it. So, right. You know, there was nothing. There, nobody's flying. Nobody's coming out of a, a cocoon or anything. So. So you're saying it's based on the music? Yeah, I, it's mm, weird. It's, it's so crazy. weird. Those guys are about playing and. And they sing and stuff. They do. They do. I get asked that a lot. Everybody's like, so, I mean, is there a lot of tracks, a lot of Pro Tools? I'm like, there's none. Yeah. They sing. I hear it in my ears every night. And, you know, the only thing that'll be triggered are like some loops and intros. You know? Yeah. That's it. Thunder, lightning or yeah. something. Yeah. But all the vocals, they're all great singers. Vivian is is a killer singer. I never yeah. realized how good of a singer he is. Um, so, yeah. And they work. They work at it. They rehearse and rehearse and... And when we were in Canada, they would rehearse every day off in a hotel conference room for Vegas to get the Vegas songs. Oh, okay. Because they were doing some some oddball tunes in Vegas. Right. And they would, you know, they'd be like, hey, guys, we need you to come to the band hotel. Uh, make sure you pull some acoustics from the, from the gig the night before. And they would just gather up in a hotel conference room and work, you know, even on their days off. They're just, they work and play and they, they want to bring it. And they do. You yeah. Know, they're, they still go out there and bring it every night. It's, it's amazing. Um, you know, Joe comes down in his pajamas to the conference room and sings. And, you know, it's, it was great. So, and that's how they got ready for Vegas, you know, just to get all those because they pulled some tunes off of Pyromania that they had, hadn't played in years and years. So, um, so it was great. Yeah. They definitely have a work ethic for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Those residencies like Vegas have to be nice for you guys, oh, too. I loved it. I, I <clears throat> loved it. It was, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Vegas necessarily yeah. because it's always so hot and I don't like hot weather. And I don't get Which is why I moved to. Where it's really hot, so right. <laughs> um, the entire time we were there, it's like August, September. I don't think it was under a hundred the whole time, oh, but uh, but it was amazing because you could just, you know, from a guitar tech standpoint, the show's over. You turn everything off and you walk away. Yeah, you come in the next show, turn everything on, you're ready to go. <laughs> it's it's. I loved it. I can't wait to do another one. Absolutely. And their schedule is so civilized. They would do a show. 
a couple days off a show, another day off. There was a stretch we had four days off for whatever reason. So it was great. You know, we went, me and the drum tech and the other guitar tech went out to the desert and did astrophotography one night. And, you know, it was, it was fun. You, you can actually do stuff on a thing yeah. like that because they don't play every single day. They pace it so that, so everybody's healthy and, once everybody well. gets a little older and gets kids and stuff, it's like, oh, we're yeah. not doing 300 shows a year anymore. Exactly, yeah. And I love that. You know, the most they do now is pretty pretty much two in a row. And even then, you know, we'll all joke around like, oh, God, we got two in a row this week. This is insane. So, I'm not standing for this. Yeah, this is unbelievable. And I don't like the coffee. Oh, wait a minute. Never yeah. mind. Yeah. So you mentioned photography. Obviously, you're an unbelievable photographer. Oh, thank you. You've been in, you've had your pictures published in... Guitar World, Young Guitar, Drummer, all these magazines. What got you into photography? That was, ever since I was a little kid, I was kind of fascinated with that. Um, I'd got a little Kodak, whatever. It's, I think it's still, it's sitting in my office somewhere. There's a little Instamatic camera that took those little cartridges of 126 film, I think it was. So. Yeah. And you had to buy the, the flash bar, which oh. was just so funny. I remember my mom's camera had the cube, the flash cube, yep. where you had to buy you had and to go would, out and buy your flash if you wanted to. And it would turn automatically. Yep. Yes, yeah. 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 It's so funny. The first time I saw a camera that had a built-in <laughs> flash, I was like, whoa, that's the, the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. You don't have to go buy a cube every time you want to take pictures. Um, yeah, so I got that, and I would, I would always like to take pictures of, like, moments that weren't typical like i've got pictures of like people coming over to the house like coming in the door you know we're sitting and talking not like a pose thing i was right. like candid stuff so i was always kind of into that sort of thing and it was always a back burner thing until maybe 2011 and i was like yeah i'm gonna get a good camera and i always got like i'd always had little point and shoots and always took pictures on the road and finally i was like i'm gonna get a nice dslr mm-hmm. and start doing some more shooting so it was when i was with dream theater and then uh I picked one up, started taking some pictures of them when I was, you know, during the show, when I had free moments, I would grab it and take some shots. And yeah. I would send them to the band, and they were, I started getting some really good feedback from them. And, and Ernie Ball, Music Man, wound up using a couple for, for Petrucci. And, That's cool. Um, yeah, so I just, I never planned on really diving that far into it. It's just for fun. And then people yeah. started liking the stuff and wanting to use it. And, uh, and it just sort of took off from there, where, you know, when, whatever tour I was on, I would try to, get some moments in people ask me a lot how do you shoot when you're working but for the most part if it's things are going well during a show you can grab a camera for a couple seconds and fire off some shots yeah um and then on like multi-act tours like you know i'll go out and shoot some of the other bands you know like journey i shot a bunch of journey stuff yeah um poison when they were out with us i would shoot a bunch of them and then even do stuff pose stuff i did some stuff with frank with tesla um, where he would, I'm like, if we see a cool part in a venue, we're like, hey, come here, get grab a guitar, we'll do a little shoot there. And oh, yeah. So, you know, so it just kind of evolved into that where it's, I guess, still a hobby, but it's, it's become almost a little side business. Absolutely. Because I do some product stuff here in Nashville, um, real estate here and there. Um, so it, it's kind of become a little side hustle, yeah. I guess, which is important in this business. So, What kind of gear are you taking on the road, photography-wise? I went to... Uh, I switched to a mirrorless to, to Fuji stuff a couple okay. of years ago, and it's been a ton of fun. Um, it started when I went to Asia with Mr. Big. I didn't want to carry a bunch of stuff, right? So I got a Fuji, and uh, it was it was so much fun because you can grab it and go. Yeah, and the quality is great. And uh, I wound up shooting a bunch of live stuff with them with it, and we spent three weeks in Japan, which is amazing. And I would just go out every day and shoot. And uh, and the Fuji stuff is great. All the Merlot stuff is great. Sony's yeah. got amazing stuff. I mean, they're all 
they've all stepped it up with that, and it's smaller and lighter. So um, you just have a big Pelican case full of. It's a backpack. Stuff? It's a think tank backpack I've okay. had for years. That's I mean, and you know, I'll plug them, even though they don't give me anything. But <laughs> but Think Tank makes amazing stuff. There's I've look got that stuff up. Yeah, amazing. I've had a backpack since 2011. It's been around the world and still looks new. It's their customer service is great. Um, so yeah, I throw it all in a backpack with the computer in there too, and I'm good to go. It's nice and easy. So do you do like all your uh, editing and everything on the road? Yeah, on the laptop. Yeah, I, I use Lightroom and Photoshop for for yeah. all that stuff. Um, mostly Lightroom. Ninety percent of the stuff is yeah. Lightroom. If I have to do any heavy editing, mostly for the product stuff I do, um, where I have to remo- remove backgrounds or get rid of dust on a product or whatever, I'll go in and do that. But uh, for the most part, Lightroom is about ninety percent of it. It's fun. That crazy. You can do it in the back lounge of the bus or a oh, yeah, hotel yeah. room or whatever. Yeah, when we were doing uh, the video stuff with with Phil last year in Canada, we were doing a, a guitar a day thing where we would pick one of his guitars and he'd do a, a one minute Instagram video, uh, just talking about the guitar, the history of it, and I would just shoot it during the day, maybe get some live footage at night, and then go to the bus after the show and edit it on the bus and upload it to him, and he would post it on his Instagram the next day. So, man, I watched so many of those, and even though. I know this. It's like for so long, everybody's thought if Gibson, Fender, and Martin, that's about it. But you look at his Jacksons, and it's like, holy crap, those are just fantastic guitars. Oh, they're amazing. And there's so many great guitar manufacturers now with Sir and, and James Tyler and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It's like there's no reason to, like we were talking earlier, go out and find a $300,000 Les Paul. Right, yeah. Out exactly. of your mind. The stuff that's out there now is, is killer. And my favorite guitar is the over there that blue Strat yeah. sitting in my office. I've had since '92, and I, I love it. I paid seven hundred something for yeah. it. It's a U.S. Strat. I don't know why I got it so cheap then. Yeah, that's um, weird. And it just plays great. It's been refretted. It's got big frets on it. It's amazing. But the Jackson stuff is amazing. I've got one of Phil's guitars here that he gave me, and it's just it, they're great. They're so solid in the yeah. the, the workmanship. Them, uh, Ernie Ball Music Man is another oh, one. Man. Just killer i've got a couple of them that are just amazing yeah and just the workmanship on all these guitars is just amazing now i've got a uh i've had two lukes and a petrucci and the necks are always just yeah. my favorite of everything yeah they're like ferraris like john's guitars are, are like his majesty one that he's got out now Dude. it's like it's too <laughs> it's too easy to play yeah uh, I, I remember picking one up when i was still working with those guys and it's just between that and the boogie <laughs> rig it's just like getting behind the wheel of a ferrari and it just you, it's hard to control because it's just so. Do you have to play that fast? Yes, I, I think do. You do, yeah. You're required. <laughs> and it's so, so yeah, I, I like strats and yeah, I'm, those those are a little too easy or too. I don't know. They they get away from me a little bit. Yeah. I think you know. You but, under you play that stuff and you understand why that guy or part of why that guy plays that way because it's like first yeah. of all, technique wise and talent wise, he's through the roof. But still. You can do that on that guitar yeah. so easily. It's and that guitar is made to to suit that kind of yeah. style because you need a performance guitar to pull that stuff off every oh, night. No everything's got to be right, you know. You can't grab a, a, a an old Strat with a you know half inch action on yeah. it and can play that stuff. It's got to be just right. It's a fine tune, you know. It's it's like racing. It really is like you got yeah. your, your car. If you're gonna race, your car's got to be tuned up and everything's got to be perfect. The tires got to be perfect. All that kind of stuff. So you're saying half inch action is high? Maybe I don't know. I kind of like it, but you know, if you want to shred anything more than eighth notes, I don't. 
You're going to run into a roadblock there. That explains Ace Frehley. I'm yes. kidding. Oh, yeah. So you also are an awesome drone photographer. Like, did you take classes or what did you, I mean, did no, you? Oh, I just. Just uh, bought one and started crashing? Yeah, I just got an urge to get one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, a couple of friends of mine had had them on the road and I was like, man, that looks really cool. And I just, one of those impulse buys at B&H. Yeah. Uh, B&H is such a dangerous website. Oh, man. Um, so I got a, a DJI Mavic 2 Pro. Yeah. And, uh, with That's with the Hasselblad, fun. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the camera's really nice. I was going to get a, you know, one of the earlier models, but the, the camera kind of sold me on this one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just fun. I always wanted to, I, I've been fascinated by flying and kind of always wanted to be a pilot someday, like Steve Morse. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this was like the closest I could get, so it's just fun, you know. I'll, there's a few places around here I'll take off from, like Old Hickory Lake. There's some some boat launches there, and Percy Priest are nice to flying over the water, and yeah, you know. So it's it's fun. It can be, you know. I haven't really used it for any kind of business stuff yet, but because there's stuff involved if you delve into that with being certified to be able to use. Do you it have your license and everything. I don't have a 107, no, yeah. which is what you need to do commercial right. stuff. Um, so I've just been doing it as a hobby now. I'll take off in the back deck here at the house and just fly around over the woods a little bit. Yeah. I usually check my gutters, you know. Absolutely. I'll fly around and say, okay, we need to have them cleaned out. So Or check your roof after a tornado. Yeah, yeah, it actually neighbors. comes in handy. Absolutely. I've done it a yep. few times just to look, make sure everything's cool, see how the, if the gutters are clogged up yet. And so, you know. <laughs> Do you ever uh, fly inside a venue? I have not. I haven't brought it on the road yet. Oh, um, you would. I'm kind of thinking about it maybe this summer with the stadium thing. You'd have to do it during the day, yeah, because you can't fly over crowds like that. Yeah, there's regulations for that now. It's it's such a weird, yeah. It's in a state of flux now because the FAA is trying to figure out how to deal with all these people that have drones now. You know, so there's they're trying to figure out how to regulate them, what you can and can't do. So, yeah. but for the most part, like you couldn't really fly over a stadium during mm-hmm. a show. But during the day when nobody's there, it'd be fun to go up and get a picture of the stage getting set up, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you maybe, have to maybe get I'll a... bring it up. <sighs> I just got that Mavic Mini. Oh, yeah? How's that? It's a blast, but you really have to pay attention to the wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because yeah. it doesn't come back against the wind. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like my, I use a, your iPhone or whatever, man, it was screaming at me when I was bringing it home one day. Yes. It was like, oh, shoot, man, I'm going to lose this thing yeah, in the Yeah, that's what I've seen on some of the forums. You know, the forums are great because you go on there and you learn what not to do. Yeah. Because there's so many guys that, hey, man, I lost my drone today. And I'm like, well, what'd you do? Well, it, the wind was like 50 miles an hour. It was yeah. fine when I was going out, when it was a tailwind. For some reason, when I was coming back, it couldn't do it. So, yeah, so, yeah the wind, you got to be careful. And, and just how the wind changes depending on your altitude is amazing. It can be calm Dude. where you're sitting, and then you get a couple hundred feet up, and all of a sudden it's like 20, 30 miles an hour. I'll show, you the, warnings. I'll show you this app that you need to get. Oh, I do have the, the UAV one or whatever. Yep. It shows UAV, you the different yep. levels. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's misleading. You can think it's a nice, calm day, and then you yeah. get up there, and you're like, all of a sudden, you're getting the warnings, and it's fighting it. Good day to fly, bad day to fly. Yeah, yeah, yep. You get the, the red okay. or green. <laughs> well, man, this is awesome. You want to do my lightning round real quick? I'll give it a shot. Okay. Sure. You know, hopefully, I, I can. I you can want a shot of co- get a shot of coffee there? This we'll do is... some of that ASMR stuff, whatever it is, where <laughs> you, you, you talk really close to the mic and, and drink right. something. <laughs> All right, this is seriously just, I'm going to ask you a question. First thing on the top of your head. Okay. <clears throat> or just, or think about, whatever. I'll do my best. What's your favorite book? Oh, it's so hard. 
recently, since he passed away, uh, Neil Peart's stuff, I really enjoy yeah. uh, his Ghost Rider book. Um, the one about cycling through Africa, and the, the most recent one, I can't remember what it's called, but... It was the live one. With the, for the last tour, he kind of yeah. wrote a little thing. Yeah, I just like his... his he's a, obviously was an amazing writer. Yeah. And writing from the perspective of being a touring guy is fun to look at, too, because I'm still, even though I do it, I love to watch behind-the-scenes stuff of other bands and yeah. read about other bands backstage. I'm still kind of a fan in that respect, so... Well, so much of our travel is point a to point b yeah and he says you know his only rule i think with him and his co-writer on those was no interstates yeah yeah and so it's like back roads are awesome you just got to plan extra time yeah yeah but, so i really really enjoy his yeah. stuff um i've read several of his and it's, yeah it's probably mostly recently i've been kind of re yeah. going back and rereading some of his stuff and i've always like you know Dabbled in the self-help books just out of curiosity, like the Tony Robbins stuff or mm-hmm. the Stephen Covey stuff or anything like that. So, but cool for the most part that, and then you know, guitar technique books, you know, stuff, right. nerd stuff. I like you know, instructional books, <laughs> all that fun stuff. You bath or a shower guy? Uh, shower for sure. Nice. What's the last gift you gave someone? Oh, that's, that's a hard question. What did I give? I'm trying to think. What? Maybe a. Probably a box of chocolates to my wife for Valentine's Day. Nice. <laughs> I think that was, if that counts as a real gift, <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. What was the first concert you saw? How old were you, and did you get a T-shirt? Uh, I saw, my very first show was Journey and Brian Adams in 1983. Oh, that would be the, awesome. Yeah, at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center in upstate New York. I did get the Journey Frontier shirt, nice. which I think was... Eleven dollars at the time, or was something that a like that. Three quarter sleeve baseball. No, shirt? it was just a regular T shirt okay. with the Frontiers dude on the front, and okay. it's still somewhere in the house. I think I'm not sure where, but at the time, I was so lucky. I grew up right next to a well, not next to, but pretty close to a, a cool amphitheater. It's still there in Saratoga. So, and you could buy lawn seats for nine bucks, seven bucks. So when you were a kid, it was amazing. We would go see anybody. We didn't care who. If there was a concert, we would go. It was. You know, whether it was Huey Lewis or Loverboy or Men at Work, or we didn't care. It was like, yeah. let's go to a concert. Yeah. So, what's your uh, favorite place to travel? Ooh, I think Australia has been the favorite. Really? Place. Uh, well, the, Australia and Japan are my two favorite places yeah. where I've been. Um, uh, I, it's it's tough. It's a tough call between the two of them. We spent three and a half weeks in Japan with Mr. Big, and it was just amazing. It just I love it there. Hmm. It's just so. Uh, something about it. It's just so clean and safe, and just the vibe there is just really cool. Um, Do they have good sushi there? Uh, you, you have to look pretty hard, but you can find it. <laughs> I usually would wind up at a Starbucks, so that's, I've got about 80 pictures of me in Starbucks in, in Japan and wherever else we go. So, <laughs> Of uh, everybody you've played with, well, let's just keep it to Leopard now. What's what's the song of theirs you never get tired of hearing? With Leopard? Yeah. Uh, <coughs> I would have to say I th- I think photograph yeah because it's it's more of a history thing with me when I was a kid I remember that song coming out and hearing that guitar riff in the beginning oh, and being like I wish I could play that yeah you know and seeing that that destroyer and the video of it the whole package of those guys was I used to just blast that whole pyromania record on my boombox all yeah. the time so yeah I think that one and plus it's usually the last song of the night so I know that's that the Work day, the work day's over. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that song for sure, it, that takes me back to being a kid. And, and it's still, it's, it's great stuff. 
my brother and I had this conversation about Rush because he's a drummer, and we were thinking like, like what you're just saying. There's so much of that music that you have memories built up around. Yeah. Like new mm-hmm. stuff that you hear, you go, oh, that's really cool. Five Finger Death Punch or whatever. You go, yeah, that's great. I don't remember where I was when I heard that. Right. I remember where I was when I heard Photograph. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All that stuff. You hear something now, unless it's tied to some momentous moment in your life at sure. this moment. Yeah. But for the most part, it just kind of comes and goes. Yeah. It doesn't have the same impact as a song that, that shaped you, you know, because you're so... Uh, so impressionable at that age yeah. that when you hear a song when you're 12 or 13 or 14, it like it sticks in there and it becomes a part of who you are, you know? So it's, that's awesome. Those songs are definitely uh, several of them like that from, from those guys and from oh, journey man. was another big one for me growing up yeah. that made me want to play guitar. So and kiss was that way for me. Yeah. I, I remember my uncle saw kiss, I think at Nassau Coliseum in like 77 and I was a little kid, like six or seven, and he. This is on Long Island, and uh, he brings back the, the program, and I open it up, and seven year old me looking at oh, Gene man. Simmons spitting blood, blood. And smoke coming out of Ace's guitar. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, <laughs> dude. I uh, I just saw them two weeks ago. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, nice. We did a couple of festivals with them last summer, over in Europe, and uh, I didn't really get to see him, but I heard the pyro from the bus. So yeah. Was... <laughs> and your bus was in another country. Yeah, pretty much. So if money uh, was no object, object, what guitar would you buy? Oh, geez. I would get a early 60s Strat, I think, or late 60s. I've always wanted one from my birth year, 69, so a 1969 Strat probably. What uh, fretboard? Uh, Rosewood for sure. Rosewood. I like Rosewood. I've de- I decided that within the last week. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Finally, that because I've got a bunch of maple ones, and this blue one here with the with the rosewood, it's just, I don't know. It's it, it just it for me, yeah. yeah. So I think from now on it's going to be Rosewood. If you weren't doing what you're doing, I mean, and you you do straddle three different careers with <laughs> drones and tech and, and photography, so I mean – if maybe it's better if you had to choose one of those, what would you choose? Ooh, that's a tough one. I know that's not fair, is it? I think it's hard to say because I think if I just did photography, it might get old. Yeah. You know how they say if you if you start doing something you love for a living, it can kind of take the yeah take the fun out of it. Sometimes it becomes a job. Yeah. So I would love to just be able to travel and shoot concerts like some guys do. It's it's difficult nowadays but old school guys like ross halfin and neil preston and those guys. Hour, yeah, yeah yeah i think it'd be great to do something like that even just one tour i would love to go do a tour just as a photographer right. just to see what it was like so you're saying spot on the bus you're at every show yeah that kind of travel like yeah i think that'd be a lot of fun i think you know to, to just tour from that perspective yeah um and aside from that yeah you know i, I like everything i do so it'd be hard to pick one Hey, man, that's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. It's like the thing that sucks is being away, obviously. We've yeah. got a wife and kids, being traveling a lot. But um, So if I could do something from home, be home all the time, that'd be great. Yeah. But even then, it's not bad. Like, these guys don't disappear for years at a time. So, right. you know, they go out for a few weeks, home for a couple of weeks. They've all got families. So it's it's a good spot to be in. That we're yeah. all in that same, roughly the same generation where nobody really wants to go out for a year and a half. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which would be great when you're 20, but now, you know, yeah. not so much now. Well, dude, thank you so much for your time. No, man. thank I you. Really I, hope, I, hope I, uh, I hope I gave good content. That was awesome. <laughs>
Hopefully there'll be no more tornadoes. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like everything where it is right now. Yeah. I want everything moved around. Like the the cars are nice where they are in the driveway. (laughs) I like our second floor. (laughs) But I don't want to live in it. No. I I like to have, be covered, all that kind of, just basic needs. You have uh, any socials you want to talk about? Oh, uh, sure. My, uh, Instagram is at John Zocco photo, all one word. That's where I put stuff from the road. Yes. Um, Jazako Photography. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Uh-huh. <laughs> just johnzako.com. If you go to johnzako.com, oh, yeah. that's, uh, that's a bunch of photos and galleries. And I do have another site called The Photo Roadie. Um, oh, I didn't see that that's, one. Uh, yeah, I slacked on that really bad. I started that a few years ago. I saw F-stops. Oh, uh, yeah, I think I have a profile on there. Mm-hmm. But this one is thephotoroadie.com, and it's more of a blog thing. Okay. Uh, I think I last posted on there maybe like two years ago. So, but that's another thing I'm meaning to do some more. And that's more of like a blog I'll write about gear and about certain shots I've taken and, and the story behind the shots and road reports and stuff like that. I definitely want to get more into that this year. Just cool. get on get on my game more with the social thing, you know. It's easy to slack. I know. Get your kids to help you. Well, he, yeah, my my seventeen year old will. He'll go on YouTube yeah. and look at the rig rundown and go, "Hey, Dad, people are asking about this or that." Or my other my YouTube channel, I did some gear reviews on years ago. And he's like, "Somebody's asking what kind of uh, tone cap you're using and right. you know, all this stuff." So, so he kind of said, "Dad, you should get on there and do more stuff." It's like, "All right, all right." So, yeah, I might use him as my social media the guide guide man. <laughs> so we'll see. Yes, my my wife, but as well as many other things, is my IT person. That's so, good. It's yeah, good to have. It's yeah. good to have. Yeah. Good to have. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, man. Thanks. Bye. Good to see you.